speaking of sound, I had to tell Brad, you know, since I'm up here in the front, I said, turn me down so it doesn't go over the live stream, you know, the singing part. <laughs> well, we're so glad you're here this morning. Uh, I'm going to be pre- preaching this week and next week, because like I said, Joe and Louise are out on vacation up in the, either the hills of Georgia or the hills of Tennessee. They're going to be up there for the next couple weeks. And so, you know, it's always tough for me to pick a topic because uh, I only do it a few times uh, in the year. But uh, there was a verse that was on my mind, and I was thinking about it. And uh, I got confirmation from the choir. So I was just happening to walk through the choir room uh, a week or so ago, and, and Kay had all the songs on the whiteboard and, you know, predetermined for the next few weeks what they're going to sing. And there it was about peace. And I said, that's it. From, I confirm what we're talking about. We're going to be talking about double the peace today. Double the peace, and I will explain to you uh, what that is as we get there. I have two scripture readings today, one from the new, one from the old. You're going to get basically two sermons, two for the price of one. You're going to get a little mini sermon in the beginning, and then the second sermon where I'm going to spend most of the time uh, talking about peace. Our first reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. It says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And our Old Testament reading is going to come from the prophet Isaiah. We've been doing a lot of Isaiah today. And it says, In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. May God add his blessing to his holy word. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together to worship you, to gather together to hear your word. And I pray this morning as I speak your word, Lord, you'll use me as a vessel, an instrument for your glory and speak your truth to our hearts. I pray that your Holy Spirit will illumine our minds and our thinking to truly understand the word of God and let it change our hearts, dear Lord. Let it strengthen us in our faith. And we ask these things in your son's blessed name. Amen. Let's face it, we all worry. We worry about our jobs. We worry about our families. We worry about our children. I worry that my son doesn't get a concussion in football on Friday nights. We worry about big things. We worry about little things. But worry is a part of our lives. Some of you now might even be starting to worry about nuclear war, which we haven't had to worry about that for a while, right? I think it would be fair to say that that worry, anxiety, depression are on the rise. And if you read the news at all, or the, the mental health trends in America are going downward. According to a recent uh, Mental Health America report, and this was only a few years ago, 
He said that over 20% of adults were experiencing a mental illness. Think about that. That's about over 50 million people in America. And, and this is more than just anxiety. This is mental illness where they get treatments. And it's worse for our young people. There's an organization called Healthy Minds Network. They went out on uh, college campuses. They, I mean, lots of college campuses, interviewed lots of students and found that almost 40% of college students are experiencing a significant mental health issue. And it's no better for our teens. There's the National Institute of Healthcare Management say that nearly one in three, three one-third of teens have an anxiety disorder. Folks, there's a lot of worry and mental illness and depression out there, and I would not be surprised if we have it here with us today. It's because we all face this thing called life, and life has its troubles, life has its challenges and difficulties. You know, the Bible speaks a lot about worry and about the mind, a healthy mind, uh, I heard one commentator say that over 20% of the verses in the, in the Bible are either talking about the mind or the heart or the will, our mental faculties. I think the Bible has a lot to say about mental health in the mind. And it would do us good to remind ourselves is what the Word of God says. For example, let me just give you a few verses, some that you're familiar with, Proverbs 23, 7, for as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Or how about this one? Proverbs 4.23. Watch over your heart, your mind, with all diligence, for out of it flow the springs of life. And here's a wonderful promise we have in the New Testament of talking about believers in Jesus Christ. It says, we have the mind of Christ. I have two points today. And one point from one passage and another point from the other. My two points are, number one, the problem. And number two, the remedy. The problem and the remedy. Let's first look at the problem. We see that in our first verse this morning. This passage was taken from the Sermon on the Mount, not the Sermon on the Plain, like Pastor Joe's been talking about, from the Sermon on the Mount. And you know... Problems about anxiety and stress. There's nothing new under the sun, as, as uh, the great wise man Solomon said. Jesus was dealing with that in his preaching about anxiety, about worry. And we see that there in chapter 6 of Matthew. And I, I commend to, to read the whole chapter. But he says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, there's a lot in that verse. I could have spent the whole sermon on that verse, but I didn't want to. But let's unpack it just a little bit. Let's find out what is the therefore, therefore. Right? You always want to know what the therefore is there for. Well, Jesus, just prior to that verse, gave us a great sermon on the difference between serving God and serving mammon or serving riches or wealth. And he had a few basic points. He said, number one, he says, don't lay up, store up treasures for yourself on earth. Why? Because, well, they decay. They get worse. They get corrupt. Uh, inflation hits, right? Values of things plummet. Don't store up your treasures on earth. 
Instead, do what? Store up your treasures in heaven. They are eternal. They do not decay. No moths up there. No rust up there. No corruption up there. Lay up treasures in heaven. And then he goes on to say, don't worry. Don't be anxious about the basic necessities of life. Like food and drink and clothing and shelter. Right? He said, I'll take care of you. Right? He looks at the, he looks at the flower, the lily, and he talks about manna and so forth. And then he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. The bottom line in that little vignette of a sermon, he's saying, don't worry, trust me. Trust me, trust God and don't worry. Sounds easy, right? Like Nike says, just do it. Sounds easy, we can all do it. Well, we know it's not that easy, So let me pull out a few points from that verse about worry. Number one, you and I will have trouble or problems today and tomorrow, (laughs) right? Jesus is basically saying that. Why are you worrying about the trouble tomorrow? You will have trouble today and tomorrow. By the way, that word trouble actually means uh, evil, misfortune. Uh, it's It's the result of living in a sinful and fallen world. Bad things happen, not every day, but things happen today, things will happen tomorrow, all right? So that's the first point. The second point is what he says is it's take it one day at a time, right? Because you have enough on your plate today, you don't need to be worrying about what's on the plate tomorrow. Take it one day at a time, because worrying about tomorrow doesn't help. There's this quote from a man named Glenn Turner. I don't know who he is. I tried to look him up, but he must be famous for something. But he made a great quote. And his quote was, worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. (laughs) There's a lot of truth to that. Or if you want to look for a more distinguished philosopher, you look at the great philosopher Charlie Brown. When he said, I've developed a new philosophy, I only dread one day at a time. There's something into the idea and the fact that you can only live one day at a time. And so Jesus is saying that. You got enough on your plate today. And oh, by the way, and this leads to the the most important point that I think you can pull from the passage. And the one that, if I was doing the whole sermon, it would fit in its context. He's basically saying is, God's grace is enough for you today. I will give you enough grace today to live today. Just like in the wilderness, he said, I will give you what? Enough manna today to live for today. Don't be worrying about the manna tomorrow. I'll take care of it. Trust in me. But we worry. We still worry, right? We're all there. All right, so that's the problem. Worry with problems. By the way, there is an answer in there, too, in helping us with worry, and it's that very idea of living one day at a time, right? Not looking to the future. But I want to spend more time on this wonderful passage in Isaiah chapter 26, which is the remedy, the remedy. And it's a verse 
that's probably very familiar to most of you about staying in perfect peace. In fact, there's probably a few of you here have it on your refrigerator or somewhere because it's a very popular verse. But I want to uh, ask you to just be patient because we're going to get to that verse. But that verse is going to be sort of like, remember, when I was a kid, we would get this thing called Cracker Jacks. Right? How many used to get Cracker Jacks? They weren't very tasty, but I don't know. That was the kid candy they gave kids. It's kind of a caramel popcorn. And with, I didn't like the nuts in there or whatever. But what was always in the Cracker Jack box? A little prize. So what would you do as a young kid? You would, like, dig your hand down in there and get all that sticky stuff on you to get to the prize. Right? Well, just follow me through on this and eat the Cracker Jack in the top of the box. And we'll work our way down to the prize. All right. I have three points, sub points, we'll call them sub points under the remedy, which is double the peace, double the peace, three sub points. Number one, we're going to look at the city that Isaiah uh, talks about. And then number two, we are going to look at who built the city, which is God. And then number three, we're going to look at the inhabitants of the city, the people of God. And it's in that point, number three, we'll talk about peace more extensively. All right. Number one, we notice in that there's a song that will be sung in the land of Judah, right? We have a strong city. First off, a little bit about Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet who lived in Jerusalem, and he began his ministry in the year the king Uzziah died, right? Famous verse in, in uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 6. And he prophesied through three or four kings. Uh, he lived during the period of the, the ascendancy of the Assyrian Empire, right? If you know your Old Testament history, the uh, northern tribes, the ten up there, kind of got taken away from the Assyrians. The, the, uh, Judah in the south got taken by the Babylonians. Well, anyways, Isaiah prophesied a lot to the northern tribes and to uh, to Judah, as well as to the nations that were the bad boys, he would, they had prophecies from them. But <clears throat> he did a lot of judgment, but there were also a lot of good things Isaiah said. He probably talked more about the coming Messiah than any prophet. But in this particular passage of Scripture, it's a beautiful song that he is writing, right? And he starts off, we have a strong city. Who is the we? Well, the we is him and those who trust in the Messiah, trust in God with him, right? And he does it in a song because we see this in the Old Testament a lot where they, God told them to write a song, right? I think I did a sermon about that way back in Deuteronomy. Why songs? Well, songs elicit emotion, right? They bring back memory. They help us to think things when we're going through difficult times. I was just driving down the road the other day, and this song came over the radio, and boom, it just put me back something. You know, there was a connection made. Songs provide connections, and so he says to write this song, and it's, it's an eschatological song. It's a big word, eschatological song, which is a song of the future. It's pointing toward that final day, the day of the Lord. We see the quote in the day of the Lord spoken of numerous times in the scriptures, including the next chapter of Isaiah, where it says, In that day of the Lord, with his hard and great and strong sword, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, and redeem Israel, his pleasant vineyard. 
So he's pointing to the future, right? Isaiah's seeing beyond even the, the first coming of the Messiah. He's seeing the second coming of the Messiah. He's seeing what we see in Revelation. Listen to this in Revelation chapter 21. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city, there's the word, has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its lights will the nations walk, and the kings of earth will bring glory into it. They will come into the city. And listen to this, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Isaiah is prophetically, he's, he's looking even, again, beyond Christ's incarnation to this final day in the final city of God. So why did he give it to him as a song? Well, they're going to need it in the future, especially after they are delivered over to the Assyrians and the Babylonians. So this will be a song to sing when they're going through difficulty and trials and tribulations as a people that will now be in captivity. He's saying, you guys need to remember this song, and you need to sing this song, and you need to think about what this song is about. Notice that the city is fortified with walls and gates, which speak of God's protection. I'm sure he was thinking of the current Jerusalem because he he was a, a resident there. By the way, Jerusalem, you know, a very important uh, city in the Bible, mentioned over 800 times. 800 times. And people took comfort in the walls and the gates of fortified cities. You know, you were much safer living in a city, right, than out in the suburbs outside. You wanted to be behind those walls. And even cities that were up on hills, which Jerusalem was, right, were harder to capture. So if you could be in a city... With walls up on a hill, you were in much better shape. You were safe and secure. I remember living in Europe when I was assigned the Air Force there, touring through Europe, and you would see many of these castles and uh, small encampments up on hills with high walls, right? Very formidable walls. And you'd look at that like, man, I don't know how anybody got up there, but they put them up there, and they were secure. City gates. Let's talk about that. City gates played a significant role in ancient life. Opening gates in the city walls that created a weak place, and ancient people strengthened their gates to prevent their city from being easily invaded. All right? So we got this strong city. Now we get to the next point. You know, who has the power to open the gates? Who opens the gates? That's my next one. God. God is the builder of the city. Notice it's he, the Lord God, who sets up salvation. I love that word. Sets up salvation via the walls and the bulwarks. God is the author of our salvation. He sets it all up. He initiates it. Abraham understood this. In fact, when the writer to the Hebrews wrote, he said this in Hebrews chapter 11. Speaking of Abraham, he said, Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. So the city's designer builder is God himself. And the writer in Hebrews is saying that Abraham was looking forward to that day. In fact, later in that chapter, in chapter 11, we hear the writer says, remember chapter 11 is the hall of faith. It's all the, the, the people that are on the, on the baseball cards, you know, in the faith that done really good. They were all looking, it says, for 
a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them, what? A city. So this is beautiful poetic language that Isaiah has used to describe God building the heavenly city. For those of you who've read Pilgrim's Progress, that's the celestial city, right? Jesus also uses another metaphor in the New Testament of, of, of house and the, the song we sang today when it says, do not be troubled, believe in God, for I grow what? To prepare a place for him, for you. God is preparing a place for us. You know, we need to be thinking about this often because what I want you to see as we start getting in that verse, the mind of peace is a mind with a, has a mindset that's focused, that always has something to go back to when the, when the highs and the lows in life come. You have something stable. And that's what the writer here, Isaiah, is trying to say. It, you guys, look to that heavenly city, man. You're one day going to be safe and secure by God. Here's another beautiful description of the city in Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north. The city of the great king. Beautiful verse. By the way, if you notice, when I preach, I use a lot of Bible verses. And I do that for a reason, because the more words that I speak, the more words I can make a mistake, right? When I speak God's word, God's word stands on its own. So I love to put a lot of scripture surrounding my points. All right, so we now know who the builder of the city is God. Now let's talk about the people of the city the people of the city. Who gets in? Who gets into that city? Who are the folks that get to enter? It says, well, it says in the song, those who are righteous and faithful may enter, right? Well, I guess that eliminates us, huh? Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. Bible says for all fallen short of the glory of God, all have sinned. But who is that righteous nation? Who is the righteous nation he's talking about there? Oh, by the way, could this be that holy nation? You remember my sermon a few weeks ago? The holy nation from 1 Peter. Peter calls the new believers in Jesus Christ. They are part of a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen race, a people for God's own possession. He's talking about here the redeemed. Those that are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's who's in the city. And by the way, we are made righteous to enter by who? By Christ. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We become righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ, and we can get membership and access to that beautiful city. Paul says it another way in Ephesians. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and who has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We are made righteous. Because of what Christ has done. And he opens the gates to let us in. It also says these people were faithful, right? Faithful. Well, how many times 
we seem like we are faithless. Well, Paul said even when we're faithless, he's faithful. He who began a good work in us will complete it. He will help us. And we have many promises of God's faithfulness is why we get into city. This is another one I love. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Or how about this one? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we are part of that faithful and righteous people. All right, now to the, to the prize. All right, got a few more minutes for the prize. What else do these people have? They have perfect peace. Peace, peace. When you read that in the Hebrew, it says, Shalom, Shalom. Does, there's no Hebrew word for perfect. The English translators put it in, but it just says, Peace, peace. Why? He is emphasizing the peace. Just as Jesus, when he would talk and say what? Truly, truly. With emphasis. Or as Isaiah does earlier in his chapter 6 where he says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. The, God's people will be a people of perfect peace. And that word peace in the Hebrew, if you really study it, it has a lot more to do than just, you know, not having any anxiety or worry for the day. The word shalom means completeness, soundness, welfare, wholeness, peace. It is such a beautiful idea. Wholeness of mind. God not only wants us free from anxiety, but he wants us to have soundness and wholeness of mind. Our minds are not to be tossed here and there in every way by continual agitation and worry because of a lack of trust of God. We need God's peace, peace. But we need to recognize where does true shalom come from? It comes only from God. It can only come after you have an encounter with Jesus Christ. Paul explains this when he says in Romans, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We need an encounter with Jesus. I love the story. It's in Mark chapter 5. Joe will probably get to it in Luke because it's in three of the Gospels, but I call it the, the, the demon-possessed man and the pigs. Do you remember that story? Very familiar story, you know. You know, when I grew up, and I'm sure a lot of you grew up, wasn't there always in your town like a, a crazy house where some crazy guy lived? right? Uh, it's scary house. You didn't want to go, don't go down there to the scary house on the quarter. Boo Radley's house, right? To kill a mockingbird, if you read that. Well, there was a scary dude, and he lived in caves, and he cut his self up, and he screamed and yelled, and nobody could get near him. They tried to chain him up. He could escape from the chains, and Jesus went over to him, he didn't come to Jesus. Jesus went over to him. If you read an account, it's when they crossed the water and there was the big storm and Jesus calmed the sea. Then he went in to meet this crazy man. And what did he do? He delivered him from captivity. He gave him peace. 
And I love the words it says there. <clears throat> Jesus comes after one day. He's crying out with tombs and cutting himself with stones. He encounters the Prince of Peace. Jesus delivers him. And here's the kicker. The town, the whole town came out to see what was happening. They came to the crazy man's house. They came out to see what was happening. And he's sitting there. And it says, the Bible said he was clothed in what? In his right mind. He was in his right mind because Jesus had to change his mind, had to change his heart. And you and I, we only get this true perfect peace through Jesus Christ. And just like you heard the songs today, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your heart be troubled. Isaiah penned that song for those future Jews who would go into captivity and suffer and be anxious and not know what the future holds, but they were to find comfort and hope in that song, that there is hope, there is a strong city, there is a Savior, and you know what? He will be with me, and he is my everlasting rock. All right, God does all the work, but there's something we have to do, all right? Last few, couple more minutes, hang with me. What we do, right? What we need to do. Number one, we must keep our minds stayed on him. Number two, we just must trust. We must trust the everlasting rock, as it says there, the rock of ages. By the way, that word stayed, keeps his mind stayed on me. The word stayed means to lean on, lay into, rest, uh, support. Picture, you know, when you were a parent, you're teaching your kids how to do the uh, backflow, right? And you're in a pool, and you're like, but they're little, and they're, you go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you out there so you get straight out, and then I'm going to let you go. Well, they're resting in your arms. That's how we're to rest in Christ. Lean into him. That's what it means. Our minds need to rest into him. By the way, the word mind, here's another thing, too. It's a little, it's a little nuanced word. The word mind in that particular passage in the Hebrew means more like intent or imagination. Okay? You know, to use your imagination, you have to be intentional, right? Although some people have greater imaginations than others and thoughts come all in all the time. But you, normally, if you really want to use your imagination, you have, to, you have to focus it. And by the way, isn't that what we do with our imaginations many times? We worry. We imagine the worst possible outcomes of something, right? Oh, it's going to be this bad. Oh, I'm just going to get a bad report. Oh, it's never going to come together, you know. I'm never going to meet the deadlines. Thinking days and days ahead, we're imagining, right? Instead of imagining, we need to rest in Christ. We need to rest in the peace that God has given us. You see this a lot in, uh, I, I look at Twitter once in a while. I don't never tweet, but I looked at Twitter, but... It's interesting how on Twitter is, and they'll take a story, right? And it could be at some isolated little podunk town somewhere, and it's really bad. And then everybody tweets it, retweets it. And then everybody next thing thinking, like, the whole world's like that, right? And it's like, ah, oh, you don't know how bad it is. I think sometimes, speaking to myself, we just need to put down our phones. You know, quit looking at your uh, Facebook so much because a lot of times that's what causes us to get nervous and worried 
and more. We need to meditate on God's attributes. We need to meditate on his love. We need to meditate on his mercy, his goodness, his faithfulness to us. You see, in verse 4 of of Isaiah, it says, Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. We need to go to that rock. He does not change. Big, big rocks. I'm stationed in Monterey, California. I used to love to go down to the beach there in Pacific Grove. They had big rocks, you know, where the big old fat sea lions would come out on and just they'd be basking in the sun. Well, those rocks weren't going anywhere. They were big, huge. We need to be like a sea lion and get on that rock and bask in the sun of our God. By the way, and I'm going to kind of end it here. Paul gives us very similar guidance in three different places. And I'm going to read them to you that help us with our worry and anxiety. Number one, he says in Colossians 3, 1, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Set them on things above. Or how about this one in Philippians? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely... Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then the, the one verse, which is really the, the kicker, and I'm sure Paul was thinking of Isaiah when he wrote this one. He said, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Basically, that's resting and leaning into God through prayer, right? That's how we do it. When you get anxious, you get nervous, pray, ask God for help. And here's the point. And the peace, the shalom, the shalom of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. To stay in perfect peace, we need to go to him in prayer and keep our minds stayed on our Savior. Every day we need to remind ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, listen to it, he himself is our peace. Brothers and sisters, I would ask that you would make it a song in your heart. Sing it to him. Look forward to that day when we will all be gathered together in that heavenly city where there will be fullness of joy and peace. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have reconciled us to you by your son Jesus, and have given us peace. We are no longer at war with you, but Lord, you have taken upon us, upon yourself, our sin, and we've taken upon ourselves your righteousness. Lord, if there's someone in here today that has not taken on your righteousness, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them and bring them to faith, open up their eyes to their need for a Savior. And Lord, for the rest of us, if we struggle day in, day out with anxiety, help us to learn even more and more to rest in you, to put our lean into you, and to trust in you. 
We thank you, Lord, that you will keep us in shalom, shalom, if we keep our minds stayed on thee. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.